Good morning. <clears throat> Have you all ever been or at least seen those, um, those gem mining sheds, right, in the Appalachian Mountains, out in the Smoky Mountains? You're, you know, you're driving on these sharp, sharp turns, turns and all, all of a sudden you see gem mining, Appalachian gem mining. And um, so have you all seen those? you all know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Has anybody ever been there? Um, I've been once. Probably, it was probably 30 years ago. And, you know, they get some sand and they pour it into a sieve, right? And, and so you've got the sand in the sieve and, and then you start to shake it. Maybe you put it down in a little trough of water and you shake it some more and, and the sand filters out. And you're left, you know, when I was a kid, I was expecting lots of gold. Um, usually not so much. Um, you're left with some, some rocks or some quartz or maybe some fool's gold, something, something like that. Of course, I did. The one time I went, I was left with a ruby, which was kind of exciting. Uh, I was nine or ten. I gave it to my mom, and um, that was pretty much the best thing I could ever do. It got me through middle school, I believe. Um, <laughs> But, but it usually is not that way. But I want you to think of that image and pretend it actually turns out better than normal. Because it's a good image to reflect on in our passage from Hebrews this morning on an unshakable kingdom. Because what we have to realize is that like the sand in that sieve, one day the world, the heavens and the earth, the created order, it's going to be shaken. And at the end of the day, the only thing that will remain is what is good and true and holy and eternal. And everything else, and many of these things that, that, that we are holding on to so tightly, at the end of the day is going to be shaken out. And we must be careful that we're not left with nothing when the shaking is finished. That is our passage for today. Maybe you have your Bibles, or if you have an app on your phone, I would recommend opening it up. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin at the 18th verse, and we're going to talk about God's unshakable kingdom. What does it mean, what does it look like to be citizens of the unshakable kingdom of God? So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. And the first thing we realize is that um, the author needs to tell us what it means actually to be part of a shakable kingdom, a kingdom that will not endure, that cannot last. What, what does that look like first before we can understand the glory and the beauty of the unshakable kingdom of God? And so we come to verse 18, and you've got to remember this this community, these, these, the Hebrews as we know them, um, they were being persecuted very heavily. They were, they were under intense pressure, not quite yet to the point of martyrdom, but it was coming. It's sort of like the handwriting was on the wall. You're probably going to die for your belief in Jesus at this point. And so the author of Hebrews is writing to them and he's saying, you must persevere, you must endure, do not lose heart. And now he's telling them, why? Why? And he's saying, you haven't come to a kingdom that will disappear at the end of the day. You have come to the unshakable kingdom of God. 
And when he wants to talk about this, this shakable kingdom, it's interesting. He, he, he goes back to Exodus and he goes to the Israelites and he says, this is not you if you know Jesus. But this might be you if you don't know Jesus. And so we have verse 18 to 21. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is a kingdom that can be shaken. One that is rooted in fear of God. And I don't mean fear like you should fear the Lord, like a holy fear, one that's like utterly terrified of God and His glory and His judgment. This is a kingdom that can be shaken. He's referencing Israel, and specifically he's referencing their meeting with God at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. Do you remember the nation of Israel, the, the, the nation that the, most of the Old Testament, if not all of it, centers around, the stories center around? This was God's chosen people. Um, God made a covenant with Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, and he said, you will be the father of a great nation. They will, your descendants will number the stars in the sky. And I will give you this promised land, and you will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so Abraham receives that promise, receives that covenant, and it's passed down to his son Isaac, to Isaac's son Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and from those 12 sons, Israel very rapidly grows into a great nation. The problem is they're not in the promised land anymore. By God's provision, they're in Egypt, but now they've been made into slaves. They're slaves in Egypt, and they're wondering, what happened what happened to that ancient promise given to Abraham? Well, what happened was that God raised up Moses. He raises up a prophet, and through Moses, God delivers his people, he delivers Israel out of slavery, miraculously through the waters of the Red Sea, on the way to the promised land. But first, they are going through the wilderness. And that's where God brings them to the base of Mount Sinai. And this is the first time that Israel as a, as a nation, that all of these people experience the God who saved them. And so Moses speaks with God and, and, and God says, look Moses, tell the people what I want to do. Tell them this. Tell them that I will be their God and they will be my people and I will make them into a holy nation. And from them, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so Moses goes down and he tells the people, Look, God wants to meet you. He'll be your God. You'll be his people. We'll bless all the nations of the world. And the people of Israel say, Yes! Sign us up. We'll do all the things that he says. And God says, That's great. Well, let's, for lack of a better word, let's arrange a meeting. Let's meet each other. And, and so the, the three days later, well, let me just read it to you. Exodus 19. 
On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now they had to mark off the mountain because it was said, if you get too close, you're going to die. And then Moses brought the people to the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What a terrifying sight that must have been. What a terrifying sight. The people come to Mount Sinai and they see the Lord in His glory. They see the mountain trembling and the fire and the smoke and the trumpets blasting and the voice of thunder. And what does the author of Hebrews say about it? They were terrified. They begged that no further messages be spoken to them. They could not endure. Even Moses trembled with fear. They were terrified because they had forgotten that this glorious God was the same God who graciously brought them out of Egypt. What did they do to deserve to be His people? Nothing. What did they do to deserve to be rescued from slavery? Nothing. What did they do to deserve to be brought through the Red Seas? Nothing. This is a gracious God who brought them to Mount Sinai. But when they see Him in His glory, they are terrified. Because this is a holy and just and righteous God. They are not holy and just and righteous people. And so they're afraid. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God and is there that he receives the law and the Ten Commandments. And, and as soon as he gets up there, the people are like, we need a God who's not so scary. We need to craft a God, perhaps a God that we can deal with, a God that will meet us on our own terms. And they make a golden calf. It did not take long. They make a golden calf and they put it on an altar and they bow down before it and they say, this golden calf is our God. This golden calf, He brought us out of Egypt. He saved us. They could not endure. They could not endure because they could not comprehend the graciousness of God and they could only see His glory and His justice and they knew that they weren't worthy and so they made a God that they could deal with. They made a shakable God, a shakable kingdom. And brothers and sisters, if we are honest, this is something we do every single day. Too often we build our relationship with God on shakable kingdoms. And usually it has to do with doing the things, the right things, following the rules. If we do enough good things, perhaps it will outweigh the bad things at the end of the day. That's sort of how we relate to God sometimes. 
But it's not just this vertical relationship with God that we're building unshakable kingdoms. We're building our horizontal relationships with the world and with each other on things that are going to be shaken at the end of the day. Here's a silly example. It's true confessions time. I am a Gamecock football fan. (laughs) Yes. And there were years that a loss like the one we had yesterday would have made me absolutely unbearable and miserable for a week. And honestly, the next week wasn't going to change that. (laughs) And then as I grew through my college stage and perhaps even, you know, in getting married and having kids, I, I realized that my mood, you know, in the fall was, was all of a sudden, it was dependent on the whims of an 18-year-old, right? And we love our college kids, but I remember when I was 18, and I'm really glad nobody was putting all of their hopes in me. It was a shakable thing. And it didn't produce, it didn't endure. Clemson fans, you'll be there again one day, I'm sure. <laughs> but you've got to understand, this is, this is our lives sometimes. We are putting our hopes and our dreams and things, that is, they're just going to be shaken away. They're going to be gone. And so when we stand before the Lord, the reality is we're a lot worse than we think we are. We cannot stand before Him. Or in this world, we're, we're building our marriages. What are we building them on? We, sometimes we build them on very good things, but not the best things. We, we build them around our kids sometimes, right? And, and, and that's wonderful for what it is, except one day the kids might grow up and leave, and we look at our spouse and our marriage is gone. It left when our kids left. Or we build our self-worth around our work. What we do, or we depend on our prosperity, or our our values are dependent, or our security gets dependent on earthly kingdoms and rulers. And one day, too, they will be gone like dust in the wind. All of this, at the end of the day, is reiterating what happened with Israel in the wilderness. God was too terrifying, too demanding, too holy. We forget about His grace. We don't want to meet Him on His terms, and so we create our own gods. And at the end of the day, when that kingdom is shaking, it will all fall through the cracks. It will not last. Fortunately, though, this shakable kingdom is not given the final word. Let's read on, verses 22 to 24. No, we have not come to what may be touched, but, big word there in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. 
Do you hear that? What a joyful place. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the throne room of God. We've come to the holiness of the Lord. And yet, notice the contrast. Israel came before God's glory and they were terrified. We've come to Mount Zion and we're joining festal angels. We're joining the community of the righteous. We're joining in joy and praise and worship. What's changed? God hasn't. But we have Jesus. We've come to Jesus. Look there, verse 24. The mediator of a new covenant. We can approach the glory of God through Jesus. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to build our own kingdoms and our own gods because Jesus is king and He's a good king and He loves us. How does He love us? Through a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Do you remember the word of the blood of Abel? Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve, they both bring offerings to God. Abel gives off the top. He gives the first fruits, the very best he has to offer. He, he offers them to the Lord. Cain comes, he uses everything he needs, and he gives what's left over to God. God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He rejects Cain's. Cain is jealous, and he murders his brother. And God comes walking, and he says, Cain, have you seen your brother? And we as readers were thinking, I think God knows. I think He knows. And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And God says to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed, Cain, from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. The blood of Abel is crying out for judgment. The blood of Abel is crying out for justice. The blood of Abel is crying out for someone to pay the price And Cain pays the price for what he's done. But friends, we have come to a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We've come to the blood of Jesus dripping off the cross. The blood of the one that took the judgment that we deserved on his shoulders. And this blood is too, it is crying out from the ground. It's crying out off the cross. And it's saying, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. This blood is crying out. It is finished. And it is through this blood that we can come before the Holy and glorious God, and do so joyfully and thankfully in praising Him. Because Christ has paid the penalty. Christ has been raised from the dead. And through His blood, we too will share in that resurrection.
So when we consider this kingdom, we recognize that our relationship with God is not built on who we are or what we can do. It is built solely on the work of Jesus. It's the great equalizer. There's nothing we can do. There's, there's no number of good deeds or there's no amount of money or, or goodness of family that can get us any closer to God. It is only through Jesus and receiving that grace, receiving His death on our behalf, receiving His resurrection that we might join Him in the kingdom. And so when our families or our lives are in turmoil or when things feel like they're falling apart and, and these things will happen when we don't get the promotion at work or maybe we're even laid off. When we feel like we're failing as parents, when, when the lives we're projecting to the world on Instagram and Facebook look nothing like the torment and pain that is going on in our hearts, when all of our earthly kingdoms are shaken to the core, the kingdom of God remains. And through the blood of Jesus, that's where our citizenship is. Not here, not in the things of this world, but in the kingdom of God that one day will be established in its fullness right here. The unshakable kingdom will remain. How then are we to respond? Well, two things to take home today. Um, Look at verse 25 to 27. The first thing is to respond in faith because the reality is This glorious and righteous and just God will bring judgment on the earth. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. So the Israelites refused God who is speaking. And and the author of Hebrews is warning us, do not do that. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns us from heaven. At that time, His voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Judgment is coming. God will shake the sieve. The things of this world will fall through. And the only thing left will be the kingdom of God established by the blood of Jesus. And it's not just our personal things and the things we hold on to personally, but it's the kingdoms and empires and injustices of this world. They'll all be shaken out. And this sounds a little scary. But I'm telling you, this is good news. Because if sin and death and suffering and evil, if those things are allowed to remain, if false gods and false worship are allowed to remain in the new kingdom, then the kingdom of God will not look much different than the kingdom we have right now. It'll be exactly the same. But for those of us who are in Christ, we cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come and shake the things of this world that only your kingdom may remain. And so we respond in faith through Jesus because we know this judgment is coming. And we respond also with gratitude and worship. Look at verses 28 to 29. 
Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Therefore, let us be grateful that we have, through Christ, come to an unshakable kingdom. And let us offer worship with reverence and all. Not just this, this is worship, yes, but let us offer our lives in the worship of God with reverence and all at His glory, but in thanksgiving that we have the shed blood of Jesus. So may we respond this morning in faith and in worship because God is a glorious and all-consuming God who's welcomed us into His kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray.